Hey, my name is Colton. I'm one of the servant leaders here at Ethos. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. We hope that you can lean in and enjoy this message. You know, a lot of us have um, a hard time really understanding why Jesus had to die. And I think it's oftentimes not because we don't necessarily understand or misunderstand God's holiness, per se, or God's perfection, but I think it's oftentimes because we just misunderstand our own level of depravity, which is really just kind of a, a churchy way of saying, like, sometimes we just think more highly of ourselves than we are. And I'm going to get more encouraging here in just a moment, but, but sin is just kind of so accepted in our world today, and even oftentimes really even celebrated, too. And I think as a result, we kind of look to our left and our right, and we're like, well, I'm not really as bad as that guy, or as that girl. And as a result, we kind of feel like, well, I'm, I'm probably better than I, than I really am. But without the sacrifice of Jesus, that's what Easter is all about, we would be without hope because we'd be without, we'd be without forgiveness. Here's the reality, and Isaiah says it best in 64th chapter of his book where he writes that we're all infected, all of us, and we're all impure with sin. In fact, in many ways, we can probably relate to this this year, maybe even better than we have in recent years, because over the 2020, for the last 12 months or so now, we've kind of been running from the coronavirus, but here's, here's the truth about sin is we can't, we can't, you can't outrun it. And Isaiah goes on, he says, when we display our righteous deeds or when we, we kind of display the best of ourselves, the Instagram picture-worthy portions of our lives, they're really nothing in the eyes of God but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like, like the wind. Isaiah is essentially saying that even on our best days, with our best intentions, without the blood of Jesus, I don't mean to get all vampire-esque on us in here this morning, but... But without the blood of Jesus, we would deserve death as the punishment. We deserve death as the punishment for our sin. But here's, here's the reality that Jesus, and this is such good news. We're going to unpack this a bit more in a moment. But he didn't die for us because we were worthy of it. No, you, that's the whole point. Like you, you can't become worthy of it. He, he ultimately died, I could sum it up best, by simply saying, because he loves to be with the ones that he loves. I want to share for just a few moments this morning on Easter Sunday from a talk entitled, The Promise of Real Love. Can you look at the person next to you and say, we're going to learn about real love. We're going to, we're going to learn about real love, okay? You like the person you're sitting next to today? Come on, do you like them? Let them know you like them, being encouraging people. Come on, somebody. Have you ever noticed that, that family road trips, in particular, long ones, really truly reveal the real nature or the true character of a family? Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? Especially around the holidays, even more so. It's funny because, because dads, we kind of share this in common that we, we, we just want to go, we feel like we have this biblical mandate to kind of go as far and fast as we possibly can without stopping, only stopping for gas. Come on, somebody. Like, like I, know, I know right now in, in, in our world with my six-year-old son, I'm starting to debate. Like, I think it's around this time where you need to learn how to, like, pee in a bottle, okay? Like, this is just, might be too much information, but I'm like, we're not stopping, son. In fact, we're getting ready to go on a long road trip here in just a, in just a few days. And, and I'm like, okay, listen, guys, y'all can't drink anything for at least two hours leading into our departure because we're not stopping until that thing gets to at least an eighth of a tank. And, and moms, I'm going to let you know a little secret. Dad's mother the cat out of the bag, so just forgive me on this Easter for letting them know. But, 
But the reason why we insist on driving and won't let you drive, it's not because we're just control freaks, but it's because we don't want to deal with the civil war that's happening in the backseat of the car, right? Like this is the reality of our, of our situation. And, but why? Like why, why then are we willing to take these long trips? Ultimately, I think it's because, it's because we, we, we love to be with the ones that we love. Courtney and I, we, we lived six hours apart from each other while we were dating, and I would travel in to see her, she'd travel in to see me, and whenever it was my turn to come to see her, I, I would never stop. Like, it didn't matter how or what was standing in my way, like, I just wanted to get to my girl. She was my girl then, she's still my girl now. I was like, I just want to see her as fast as I possibly could, and I had figured out every route and the fastest way, and I knew this is before GPS on our phone, this is before the iPhone was even around, but I knew, like, if there's traffic here, I could take this exit. If there's a gas station there, that's the fastest one to get on and off without ever slowing, really slowing down. Like, I I wanted to get there as fast as I can. Why? Because I was the same way. Like, like we all just love to be with the ones that we love, which truthfully, we can really say the same thing about God. Like, this is, this is how we can ultimately, in a short kind of one sentence, sum up the reason why God was willing to go to the extent that he went between him and us. You know this. There was a great distance and as C.S. Lewis calls it, he calls it the, the chasm of space and time. And God steps out of heaven in the form of Jesus. It's the story, it's the story of Christmas. Then he goes to the cross. He dies a sinner's death. He, he's hanging there. He's crucified. He's resurrected by the power of God. That's the, that's the story of Easter. He couldn't bear the fact that there was such a distance between you and I and him and all of humanity for that matter that he he was willing to go to such a great extent. Why? Because ultimately, again, Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, he just, he loves to be with the ones that he, that he loves. Psychologists recently, over the last decade or so, have been doing a lot of research on on the idea of love and like how do we feel love, how do we perceive love, and it's really fascinating stuff. I've been really intrigued by it all, and I was recent, recently reading an article a few months back, and it, and it began to describe how you and I, we have the capacity to be loved only to the degree that we are willing to be known, which is interesting because that thread is all throughout the scripture as well. In fact, I think that the way that God is best revealed in our world today is not through our perfection. Contrary to often our, our opinion or, or our beliefs, we think like, if I mess up, then somebody won't know who Jesus is, and we put all this pressure on ourselves. But kind of say it like this, I really think that God is best revealed in our world today through our imperfection, or rather, through the belief that God loves us regardless of our imperfection. In fact, I was talking to a guy a couple years ago, and, and I was inviting him to church with me, and, and he said, no, man, he said, honestly, and he used the classic phrase. He, he said this like verbatim. I was like, bro, that is just, that is classic. He said, y'all are just a bunch of hypocrites. And I said, man, you are right. And I could tell the look on his face was like, what? And I was like, bro, I, I am a hypocrite, and I'm, I'm imperfect, which is why I think you'd fit in really well. Like, I think that we all have to recognize that there are just imperfections we fall short, all of us. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says that we all fall short of God's glory. In other words, all fall short of his standard. And so God's love is even best seen throughout the scriptures through the characters and the stories of men and women who continually mess up 
But Jesus continues, continually invites them into a relationship with him. And so I think it's probably best said like this, that the way, or rather the only way that you can experience love and grace that is truly transformative, Jesus knew this, he knows this about you, is for you to be fully, it's for you to be fully known. Let me unpack it this way. Anytime that somebody ever says to you, hey man, I, I really love you. Like I, I really do, like I mean that, I really do. Internally, there's something within you that kind of says, I don't, I don't know, because there's some things I haven't told you. And so I think that if you knew this about me or you knew that about me, you probably would reject me. You probably, you probably wouldn't love me the same because intrinsically we all know that, that I can't really be filled with love unless I know that you know everything about me and still love me so, which we see this in our world today probably better than we ever have before as it relates to cancel culture. Like today, it's like if somebody says something or doesn't say something, does something or doesn't do something that misaligns with what we think they should or shouldn't do, we just cancel them. We love them, they did it, they didn't do it, we now kind of push them aside. We cancel them out. But you know the good news of Jesus is that he never cancels anybody out, never. In fact, that's the story in the hope of the resurrection. The whole idea of Easter, it's not about the eggs. Come on, you know this. It's not about even just a church service. It's about remembering once again that without Jesus, we are hopeless. That without Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sin. Like, we, we desperately need Jesus. And we got to understand that Jesus knows you at your worst and loves you even so. In fact, I think that we see this best in the person of Peter. If you grew up in church, you're familiar with, with Peter, and even if you didn't, you probably heard Simon Peter, the apostle Peter, the disciple Peter. In fact, he's kind of introduced in John chapter 1 as, as one of the first people who, let me get to that one, DJ, I apologize. He wants, and that wasn't your fault, that was my fault. Sorry, man, sorry, thank you. Can we go for DJ and Danielle? I don't know what we would do without them. They're always fixing my mistakes and my technical blunders. But we see Peter show up in, in John chapter 1 as, as one of the first followers, one of the first followers of Jesus. And in fact, Peter eventually becomes one of Jesus' three closest friends, one of the best friends of Jesus. And, and Peter has some incredible highs in his life, one of which is illustrated in Matthew 14 when, when Peter walks on water. Like, I don't know about you, but as much as Peter has done some stupid things, has said some stupid things, he also walked on water, which I have never done before. Last time I tried, I failed. I remember hearing this story, by the way, when I was a kid and, and trying. Like, I'm like, well, I'm going to try that tonight in the bathtub. I'm going to see what happens. And I didn't, as you can imagine, work out. Actually, no, that's not true. It did work out. It's pretty incredible. Just kidding. Could you imagine? You're like, nope, I'm leaving. I don't believe you. Well, you shouldn't because it was a lie. Matthew 16, Jesus has this interaction with, with Peter, and Peter is actually one of the first ones, actually the very first of the followers of Jesus, to declare that Jesus is the Son of God. Up until this point, people said that he's a great teacher, maybe even a prophet, he's a miracle worker, but Peter's like, no, no, like, I've, I've seen enough. Like, he is, he really is the, he's the Son of God. Again, Peter has some incredible highs in his life. And then in Matthew 26, it's the story of the Last Supper. They're eating that last meal, the Passover meal. Jesus is just about ready to go to the cross and be crucified. And Jesus has this interaction once again with Peter. And, and he says, hey, Peter, look, you're going to deny me three times 
before this rooster crows. Like you're going to hear the cock-a-doodle-doo, and you're going to remember, like, oh, man, I just really let you down. But Peter didn't. He's like, no, no, there's no way. Like, Jesus, I would never do that. He actually says, I'm gonna, I'd, I'd be willing to go to the grave for you, Jesus. And, and Jesus, like, no, you, you're going to deny me three times. In fact, in fact Peter then, in, in Luke chapter 22, he He's like, no, no, I will go to the grave for you. Just as Jesus is, is being arrested by the Roman guard on behalf of the Jewish leaders of the day, Peter pulls out a sword. What the man was doing with the sword, I don't know. He was a fisherman by trade, and so he's not very good with the sword. He's about to take on a Roman officer, and the story goes on that Peter actually strikes off the soldier's ear. Not on purpose, by the way. I'm sure he's going for the head, only gets the ear. I look forward to the day when I get to heaven, and I can DVR this moment. I'm like, Jesus, show me that moment, where, because the story says that Jesus picked up the ear of the Roman soldier, puts it back on the guy's head. Like, just like, yep, that's me, I'm Jesus. You know, like, I just imagine, like, the swag in his step in that moment. Like, like, don't even worry about it. I got your ear, too. I got your back, you know? And then he takes him off to, to be crucified. And, and this is where the story kind of starts to unwind for Peter, because in John chapter 18, we, we see that Peter does deny Jesus three times. And then he actually watches watches Jesus suffer and eventually die on the cross. In fact, the story records that, that he denied him once, twice, three times, thrice, I don't know. And then he, he hears the rooster crow, and just at that moment he remembers what Jesus had said to him. And he looks over because he can see in a distance where Jesus is being beaten. And it says in that moment that he makes eye contact Jesus and Peter from a distance. And Peter is overwhelmed with grief. And he's overwhelmed with anguish. He's overwhelmed with, with shame. Like, for just a moment, can we kind of put ourselves into that story and imagine what Peter was possibly experiencing emotionally? And then Jesus, he gets carried off and hung on the cross. A few hours later, he dies. You know, if you're, if you're here today and You'd say, I don't really know what I believe about the resurrection. Maybe you're watching online, and you'd say, man, I'm just I'm not really sure. Like, like, yeah, I think maybe I would acknowledge that Jesus was definitely a good person. Certainly at this point in history, like, nobody can ever argue that he wasn't a legitimate historical figure. There's too much, there's just way too much evidence out there now for us to actually all agree. Like, no, Jesus was, he was, he was real. Like, he, he, was, he was definitely here. But if you say, I'm just not really sure what I believe about the resurrection, though, well, I, I would say to you, like, you're in really good company. Because every single New Testament writer sat in that very same seat. Every single New Testament author, every single one of the individuals who bring us the story of Jesus, at this point, when Jesus dies, they all, at that point, consider the teachings of Jesus to cease. There were no more believers. There were no more followers the moment that he died. In fact, if Jesus is captured and then punished by death, all of what he said was considered to be gone. In fact, we see this play out because, because then Jesus, he is resurrected, but the disciples don't know this yet. His followers don't know this yet. Peter doesn't know this yet, but Mary Magdalene, one of the female followers of Jesus, she comes to Peter and John and she says, hey guys, the tomb that was placed in front of the grave, it's gone. Like somebody removed it, to which they're like, well, why would they do that? And she says, the body's gone too. And they begin to think, who stole the body? What they don't think is, oh, Jesus, he rose from the dead. Cool. No, they're, they're like, well, well, what do we do now? 
In fact, Peter and John, they, they didn't really know what to make of it. They run to the tomb themselves, and they, they look in, they step in, and sure enough, the body is gone. But, but still, in John chapter 20, then, we, we see that, we see that, we're going to have to work on this clicker. We see that Peter does lock himself in a room, because he's still terrified at this moment. Listen to me, the reason why we see in John 20, Peter, among all the other disciples, locked themselves behind closed doors is because if Jesus was just killed... They believe it's now open season on their lives, too. All of his followers, they're going to take them out, too. And so they lock themselves behind, they lock themselves behind closed doors. But then later on in John chapter 20, it actually says that Jesus appears to Peter and others behind those closed doors. Now, just for a moment, let's just take a little time out. Jesus doesn't open the door to get into the room. He doesn't pick the lock to reveal himself to the disciples. He just walks straight through the wall. Like, this is like another DVR-worthy moment right here. I can imagine that Peter and the guys, they're asking themselves, like, hey, what do we do? Like, where do we go? Like, we, we, we need to run. Like, our lives are in danger. Meanwhile, Jesus kind of just nonchalantly, quietly walks through the wall. And he's like, hey, fellas, what's up? They're like, what? Jesus is here. To which I bet that all of them who are present in that room are so thrilled. Jesus, you, I saw you die. Jesus shows him the nail, the nail-pierced hands. He shows him the, the scar, the hole on his side where the soldier took the spear and ensured that he was dead. They're, they're, they're all in awe, except for Peter. Because... There's no conversation that Jesus has with Peter in that moment. Jesus just leaves. He just exits stage right. Now, this seems, just for story's sake, like a pretty cool moment. Like, that must have been incredible. But, but I remember growing up, and when I knew that I did something wrong, and I knew that my parents knew about it, but they wouldn't have a conversation with me about it, and they would kind of let that conversation drag on for a few hours or a few days, I, I was like... This is the worst time of my life. I'm like, I know you know. You know I know. You're just playing with me now. And I think that's probably some of the feelings that Peter had. Like, how, how could he not? Like, the last thing that he did is deny Jesus three times. Now Jesus shows up, and he doesn't even have a conversation with him. He, do, he doesn't even give him a hug. He, 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 he doesn't have much interaction with him. In fact, the story goes on then. A few days later, Peter, John, Thomas, and some of the other followers of Jesus, they're fishing on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus shows up on the shore. The Bible says about 100 yards off. And he, he yells to the guy, hey, guys, hey, you want to come and you come hang out? And John actually says to the guys in the boat, he's like, uh, guys, I think that's Jesus again. And they kind of squint a bit, probably trying to see for themselves. And as soon as Peter realizes, that's Jesus. It says he, he jumps out of the boat and begins to swim towards Jesus. Meanwhile, this story is recorded in the book of John. John and Peter kind of had a little bit of a competition going on. And John is writing the details of this story. John says Peter just jumps out of the boat. He swims into the shore. Meanwhile, John, this is why you got to love the Bible. Come on, you got I'm telling you, the Bible is it's so much fun. It says that John just starts kind of like, hey, guys, let's just kind of row into the shore. 
Let's just, we, can, we can probably get there faster than Peter, by the way, too. We can also stay dry. I imagine they probably beat Peter to the shore. Peter's like, guys, wait up for me, you know? If Peter's anything like me, he's a really bad swimmer, and it probably took him a long time to get there, too. If I had to swim 100 yards, somebody would need to save me. I'm just telling you right now. In fact, side, side note, one time I did have to get saved swimming. My family makes a lot of fun of me because I'm not a very good swimmer. In fact... It's neither here nor there, but recently my wife actually asked me, she's like, hey babe, we should get swimming lessons for Judah, our our youngest son, and and maybe would you want to take lessons with him? I'm like, baby, I'm a full-grown man. I am not taking lessons with my six-year-old son. It says in John chapter 21 that Peter and Jesus begin to have this conversation with each other. They begin to interact with one another. And Jesus looks at Peter it says, after breakfast, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Like more than, more than these, more than anything else. Like, do you, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you, you know I do. Jesus says, then feed my lambs. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. And Jesus said a third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus says one more time, affirming the calling on Peter's life, then feed my my sheep. What's Jesus doing here? In his gracious forgiveness, he gave Peter the chance to wipe out the memory of that threefold denial by by a threefold declaration of love. In fact, I believe that what Jesus is saying here to Peter is, is, hey, Peter, I I want you to know loud and clear, I want you to hear it from me right now, that you are not a disappointment. I don't love some future version of you, Peter. I don't need you to go back in history, clean yourself up, get your act together, and then I'll forgive you, and then I'll love you again. And and I want you to know, Peter, I, I don't regret anything that I just went through. Not a single thing, because it was all in an effort to save you, the worst of the worst. In fact, I was praying on Friday morning at the risk of freaking anybody who's a little bit newer, freaking you out, or maybe just newer to an environment like this. And I, I just felt like I really genuinely, and I don't get this impression often, I just felt like, like the Lord was kind of just impressing on me, kind of speaking to me, like this is what he wanted to speak to you. Like, he wanted you to know in the room and online, like, you are not a disappointment to him. And that he doesn't love some future version of you. Like, he, he, just, he just loves you in the present, right now, today. And that he does not regret anything that he did on your behalf to save you, to bring you into a loving, gracious, scandalous, radical relationship, real, genuine, authentic relationship with God as our Heavenly Father. See, when Peter was finally fully known, he then began to experience the transformative power of God's grace and love, and it changed him from the inside out. In fact, about 30 years later, after this interaction with with Jesus, right around 61 or 62 AD, Peter goes on to write something that was just a few years before Peter was actually killed and executed because of his faith. In fact, under the rule of Nero, right around 64, 65 AD, Peter was executed. He was hung upside down on a cross. 
Because he didn't, he, get this, Peter didn't believe that he was worthy to hang in the same way that his Savior hung. So he said, hey, can you hang me upside down? And the people obliged. And they killed him because of his faith. But that was after he had already been transformed by the love of Jesus, having been fully known and still fully loved. And Peter went on to write in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, just before he was executed, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us a new birth, a new beginning, a fresh start, brand new relationship with God into a living hope through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can't get that new beginning any other way than by believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead. If you would ask Peter today, Peter, what gave you such confidence to believe that God is for you and that he wants to offer you a new birth? Peter would say, it's the resurrection. Like, I, I saw him die, then I saw, I was an eyewitness then to his resurrection, and he looked me in the eyes, and he affirmed his love for me. Not just in spite of me, but even because of me. His perfection was proved through my imperfection. His love was revealed through my failure, through my sin. Peter's like, I, I know that this is, I know that this is true. In fact, in, in closing, if you're, if you're in here today, and, and you say, man, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I really believe in God because of just all the bad things that I've seen happening in the world, especially within the past, over the last year. You know, Peter's faith was not tethered to an imaginary God, imaginary God who doesn't let, or doesn't allow bad things to happen to good people. In fact, if you've lost faith in God because of the evil, the pain and suffering in this world, or because of something that you yourself have experienced, I want to invite you to reconsider because the men and the women who bring us the story of Jesus, they saw pain and suffering and experienced it themselves that you and I could not even imagine. In fact, every single one of the New Testament writers, with the exception of John, was killed for their faith. And if you think, oh, well, John, John got it pretty good then. No, John, John was kind of like just, like, John, we're not going to kill you. Because it seems like every time we kill one of, one of Jesus' followers, it seems like 20 more just kind of pop up in their place. We're just going to exile and banish you to an island all by yourself. So John didn't necessarily have it too much, too much better. In fact, I want to say it like this, that Peter, among others, saw the worst thing imaginable happen to the best person they had ever known, and they still believed. Because listen to me, church. The greatest challenge that you will ever face in life it's not an external challenge. It's an internal reality. And that reality is that there is a God in heaven. Whose love for you is so big, so high, so wide, so deep, so long, so scandalous, so unbelievably radical that neither death, hell, or the grave could keep him from knowing you fully knowing you and still fully choosing to love you. Why? Because God, Jesus, his Holy Spirit just loves to be with the ones that he loves. He just, he can't, he, he can't stand anything being in between you and him, which is why he said, fine, once and for all, I'm just going to take your place. So that all you've got to do is nothing but believe in me. I can't help but get excited on Easter because the choice that Jesus made for you and I was never a decision we could make on our own. 
And so he said, okay, then I'm going to make it for you. And I'm, go- I'm going to do this for you. And that's the invitation. That's the invitation of Easter. It's not the eggs. It's not, it's not the food. And there's going to be some good food. My, my mother-in-law's in the back. And when she and my wife and my sister-in-law are cooking, there's good food all the time. As I'm telling you right now, like, I'm excited to get out of church, tear down, and eat some steak. Like, I'm excited about it. I'm not going to lie. But it, it, I mean, I'm being silly, but it, it obviously, it's nothing. None of it is nothing compared to Jesus. That's the invitation. It's to simply place our faith in the finished work of Jesus. Finished meaning you don't have to do anything else besides just simply believe. Because salvation has been purchased for you fully, freely, and, and forever.